Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Geek Rant. I am your host, Mark the Sultan of the Soapbox, coming to you from beyond the grave. Well, not really beyond the grave, beyond the the hiatus. Uh, we are currently still on hiatus. This uh, should be back in one more week. Uh, you'll have one more um, new content. We, uh, as as I'm sure you've known by this point, we're bringing you an old favorite and then a new uh, content and then an old favorite. This is the last of our old favorites, and I am bringing to you uh, what is still my preferred backup utility of choice, going all the way back to Everyday Linux episode 84 on June 19th, 2014. No, that's not right. That's when Seth renamed it. When was the actual date of February the 24th was yeah. the record date, 2013. February, yeah, February 20, uh, 24th, 2013, a full Three plus years ago now, uh, we talked about my favorite backup tool. And in the intervening three years, it is still my favorite backup tool. It's an enterprise-grade tool. It's not for um, for everybody. You may not find it's for you, but give it a listen and find out. Uh, this uh, this goes way back to, I believe, Aaron was still with us uh, back then. And um, it's, it's going to be, you know, I apologize that uh, it, it should help illustrate how far we've come in the intervening 180 <laughs> some odd episodes. Uh, so check it out. Uh, guys, what, what, did, what did you remember about this episode other than me geeking out about it? Oh, it was your geek out that made it so impressive. The fact that you were uh, so passionate it would be the best way to describe this besides going to, uh, you know, the, the whole zealot phase. Um, <laughs> I've I've rarely heard someone be as passionate about a backup routine as you were about this one. You know, and I've just got to point out that y'all both pick shows where I don't have a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what Uh, makes them the best of, Seth. Maybe. Man. That's a little harsh. Yeah, but but you picked one where you carried the show, so you made up for it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we all kind of picked one where we carried the show. So, you know, gee, I wonder why it worked out that way. (laughs) Turns out we're a bunch of narcissists. Who knew? Just a little Uh, bit. So if, uh, when we recorded this, I was still in IT in the education world and was using this thing all day, every day. Uh, as I said, it's an enterprise grade product. This is, there are a handful of project products that changed my life. This is one of them. Uh, VNC is another one that changed my life. I totally changed the way I did my job as a result of VNC and later Italc, which is built on VNC. Uh, but uh, uh, virtualiz- virtualizing changed my life. Uh, but backup PC changed my professional life. And so I-, I think it's important. And without further ado, here we go once again. Everyday Linux episode 84, the best backup tool ever. everyone and welcome to everyday linux episode 84 the best backup tool ever ever recorded february 24th 2013 and brought to you by element op productions element op.com tonight we're going to talk to talk about um backup strategies in general and then we're going to talk about the best backup tool ever 
It's very expensive and highly proprietary, but it's really good. So stick with us. <laughs> so sounds like it defeats the whole purpose of our show. Something like that. And to uh, <laughs> to help me do that, to bring me back down from my insanity, are the command line Godfather, Mister Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. Hey guys, how goes it tonight? And the gooey kid, the yen to his yang, Mister Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the Linux world. Thanks. I remember this place. It's kind of nice. So, um, but he's not in the Linux world anymore. Anybody seen any good <laughs> movies recently? No. Well, no. I saw a movie, but it it actually it wasn't it wasn't that it was a bad movie. I went and saw Die Hard yesterday, and had it not been a part of the Die Hard franchise, it probably would have been better. But it's like they tried to force a bunch of stuff in. And it just really didn't work as a die-hard movie. I was let down, and I hope that's the that was its maybe dying breath as it fell into the grave. I felt that way about Die Hard Three, the one with Samuel L. Jackson. It was a good movie. Right. I enjoyed it, but John yeah. McClane really didn't have any reason to be there. Right, but you know, but the the one that came out a few years ago, the Live Free or Die Hard, right. I thought was an awesome movie. I really enjoyed that one. So, um, but yeah, but this one not so much. Yeah, what's with all these hmm. geriatric action stars who, I mean, Stallone's got a new movie coming out and, and Bruce Willis uh, still dying hard. He's like 75 years old now. It's, it's time for you guys to give it up. Let the next generation of bad actors have their run. They ran out of money there, for blow. <laughs> yeah. Is there a next generation uh, of action stars coming in? Uh, you know, I wouldn't know because I, I don't really follow the, that kind of movie anymore. But I'm sure there are, you know, muscly guys out there with, with attitude who are just itching to make movies. I mean, it's not like there's any lack, uh, shortage of action movies. Now there's just mostly digital art uh, actors, you know, Transformers right. and, and, and mm-hmm. Battleship and, and things like that. Oh, God. G.I. Joe. That was such a bad movie. That's uh, yeah. I have that Netflix Netflix DVD and I haven't. I haven't put it in yet, but it's uh, it's something I you know I'm, I'm going to make myself watch it just because. Find a backup movie. <laughs> just to warn you. Did you ever see Battle Los Angeles? Yes, I loved that movie. I thought that was a now, great movie. Not the Sci-Fi Channel Battlefield Los Angeles cheesy ripoff with bad actors and even more special effects. I think was the official title. But the actual Battlefield Los Angeles, yeah. I really or Battle, Battle Los, Los whatever Angeles, it was, yeah. I really loved it. Yeah, it's if you're I, I, I my friend Sean, who's a, a Marine, I bought him a copy of that and said, just because you're a Marine, you have to see this because this presents Marines in all their oorah glory. Um, right. And he watched it. And he said, you know, the only problem I had with that was the Air Force chick was way too tough. Air Force would never <laughs> be that tough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, but it's yeah, but it's okay because she was pretty hot in the right. film. So it's a it's a good it's not what you expect. It's not the um, lasers and and lightsabers type sci fi thing. It's really more action driven. It's more Hurt Locker than it is Star Wars. Uh, but you know, there's enough sci fi in there for the sci fi geek. But it's really it's good characters doing outlandish things, and I like that kind of thing. That's that's what Die Hard was. John McClane yeah, was a good character who did ridiculous things that no human would ever do, but made you enjoy watching it. And within the context of the film, it was believable. It's at least the first one. You know, some yeah. of the 
other ones, but the first one was believable in the context of the movie, you know? Yeah, at uh, least he got hurt, you know? He right. cut his foot once, so there was at least... Right. Uh, he had a limp for a glass. while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Linux goes to the chat room says, I want to see Galaxy Quest sequel if they ever come out with it. I loved Galaxy Quest. Still one of my top five all-time sci-fi comedies. Love that movie. That was a great movie. I Yes, Galaxy Quest rock. Just straight on through the chompers and you're good to go. Yeah, no kidding. That was that was a good one. Yeah. I, I really thought, uh, oh, what was his name? Tim Allen yeah. did a really good job on that one. I have one job really? on this ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> I think I'm going to go put that in my queue list now. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a Thor's while. Hammer, you will be evicted. <laughs> Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, Chris, recovering <laughs> broken installs of what operating system? Guess. <laughs> Mac OS. My favorite oh. operating system in the whole world. <laughs> The only reason I like it is because it makes me money. So it's one of those no, you can't just fighting. wipe it out and start over? Well, yeah, I would, but they didn't make their backup CDs, mm-hmm. and they didn't get shipped any recovery CDs. So I have to try to recover the recovery partition on a busted-up hard drive. Is it this Windows is 7? No, it's yeah, it is Windows 7. You know, you can download from Microsoft's Digital River account full-on ISOs of whatever version they have, and as long as you have the product key on the computer, it'll work with no problem. See, I tried an OEM. It's an OEM key, and I have a retail disk, but my retail disk didn't work. So, but the download will with an OEM key. I, I have done that. Okay, that's good advice. I'll, I'll remember that one. I'll write it down right now. Excellent Linux advice, Seth. Great to have you on the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I had a moment. <laughs> it was a geek dad moment. Uh, here in in northern Georgia, it's been fairly cool uh, recently. When we when we left for church this morning, it was about forty degrees, and the and the girls had their sweaters on. But it was a sunny day, and then we came out from church at about twelve thirty, and the inside of the van was pretty hot, but they were still wearing their sweaters because it was windy and cold outside. And my ten year old complained, "Why is it hot inside the car?" My twenty minute lecture on photonic radiation and and uh. Um, non-contact heating wasn't wasn't accepted well. Uh, a friend of mine said, I should have just said, because it's sunny. Uh, but if you ask me a question like that, I'm a geek dad, I'm going to give you the answer. I said, okay, so sunlight is made up of these, these things called protons. And protons have energy, the same kind of energy that fire has or that electricity has or that you have when you've had a whole lot of sugar. It's all energy is energy. And when they hit the roof of the car, something called radiant heating happens. <laughs> and my wife was like, they've tuned you out. They're gone. They're not listening. I don't care. I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> That's right. Because it, if it if you don't tell the story, then it just isn't as fun. Some part of their latent, you know, uh, subconscious mind picked that up. And years from now, when they're a physics class and they're talking about the 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 photonic energy of sunlight, they're going to go. You know, I I remember something about that. Mm-hmm. I did my job. As so a dad. you hope. Yeah. That's that's why my kids are total geeks, and they don't have a choice in the matter. Because I don't say stuff like, because it's sunny. They ask a question, I actually give them the answer. Well, and that's a good thing. Yeah, ask them, they would say no. <laughs> so, Chris, you had a long-time problem with uh, with your laptop running Linux, randomly yes, locking I did. up. 
And you fixed it by putting uh, Mac OS on it, right? Um, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, actually, I just started tinkering with different settings and, and trying to figure out what it was. And I thought maybe it was a Linux thing. So I kept tinkering, playing with different distros and trying to find out if I could nail down if it was a distro you know, or a kernel or what it was. So I was, I think I had 17 different kernels and I was getting ready to compile my own. And I'm like, you know what? Let's roll back time and, and go back to basics. What's the first thing you do when you have problems with a unstable system? You check the BIOS and make sure there's nothing turned on that shouldn't be. And for some reason, that this laptop, when I have on the, uh, I don't remember what Dell calls it, um, when it, for CPU scaling, if you let the BIOS control the CPU scaling, it will cry, it will lock up the system every time, guaranteed. You turn it off, and no more lockups. So it's have, still scaling. Have you ever the, run? The have you ever run uh, Windows on that machine? Yes. Did it happen with Windows as well? Um, it was more sporadic for the lockup then. So probably what it is um, is they optimized the code for the Windows kernel, assuming that that's what would be running on it. Could be very well. Could be. Um, but I've had other machines that had the same lockup, the exact same symptoms. So now I'm wondering if I can get my fingers back on some of those machines that the, that my school district had and un and cause they're Dell's. So I'm sure they have the same CPU scaling thingy turned on. If I turn that off, does the lockups go away or does it stick around? See, the way you fix that though is stop running BIOS and load UF, UEFI on it. And we know that's a problem free. Uh, subsystem. Oh yeah. So uh, it'll it's fix such your, a great idea. It'll fix all yeah, your problems. Yeah. Definitely. And and if if that's the case, then everyone I have a bridge to <laughs> the, you know to sell you and 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 we'll say uh, Albuquerque. <laughs> Long live the red shirts. Yes, you know everybody knows that, um, especially if you're a Star Trek fan and. There's probably a high correlation between EDL listeners and Star Trek fans. But uh, on the original series, just term Star Trek for the purists, you know, you have Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, um, Ahura, the entire bridge crew, and Ensign Leibowitz beam down to a planet. Which one's going to die? Well, the poor idiot in the red shirt. Um, well, somebody from uh, Significance Magazine did a mathematical analysis of this, and I just thought it was great. And um, so there were more red shirts died during the course of the show than the gold or the blue shirts, but it turns out in percentages of the overall crew of the Enterprise, only 10% of the red shirt population was lost during the three-year <laughs> run of Star Trek. And that's less than 13.5% of the gold shirts. It's because so there were be more red shirts. They're expendable. Right. right. But, <laughs> you know, just because you wore a red shirt wasn't necessarily a mark of death because there were so many more of them. Right. Unless you were beaming down to the planet, in which case, you know, everybody knew you were right. going to die. But so, you know, just because you wore a red shirt wasn't the mark of death. Jim so. in the chat room is begging for the raw numbers. So we'll we'll paste the link in the chat room and uh and it'll be on the notes uh, when the show comes out, so you can see it. It amazes me that somebody actually took the time to do this. See, back before, well, especially this, 
especially this far after everything's over. Yeah. I'm surprised it's just now making news or someone actually just now decided to run with it. Back before the internet was a thing and one person could make an assertion and everybody would follow suit, we didn't know to call it red shirt. So my group of friends called it Ensign Leibowitz. So you have uh, right. you have Scotty, Bones, uh, Spock, Uhura, and Chekhov all beamed down with Ensign Leibowitz. Who's not coming back? And uh, it just so happened that Ensign Leibowitz usually had a red shirt on. Right. You know, and one of my favorite uh, little cartoons I ever saw on the internet was like, it was like Star Trek meets Night of the Living Dead. And it was McCoy talking to Jim with the tricorder going, he's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. <laughs> I could not help, but I just, and I still think it's funny. You know, over 10 years later, it's still hilarious to me. I saw a funny uh, mock-up once. It's probably on YouTube. I'm sure you can search for it. Um, and it was every time in all of the television shows and the movies that McCoy, McCoy said, he's dead, Jim, followed by every time in the movies and in television where he said, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a whatever. And it goes on for like seven and a half minutes of really the same line over and over. And at, at first it starts out being weird. And then it becomes funny, and then it's just torturously bizarre because it just never stops. It goes on and on, the same guy saying the same line. Um, there's another similar one for the uh, uh, next generation called Worf is Always Wrong. Have you seen that one? I have no. not. It's all the times in the next generation, both the movies and the, the television series, where somebody shuts down Worf. And there's like a, th- a thousand of them. Of course, Worf's answer was always, let's nuke the planet, Captain. Uh, but uh, it's just, they don't show what is uh, what he said, but they just show a different character, you know, a command crew or, or you know, girlfriend or whatever, shutting him down. And it's called Worf is Always Wrong. It's funny. Look, search for it. I will have to look that one up. Yep. I will do the same because that sounds hilarious. So we had a bit of uh, feedback from last week's show. As I predicted... I said that the Arch crew would let us know when we were kind of dissing on Arch. And just to be fair, we didn't say Arch was bad. We just said it's too advanced for the everyday Linux user. And so, you know, I didn't really expect there to be much overlap between people who listen to the show and people who use Arch. Well, apparently there's one, and his name is James. And James writes in to say, enjoy the show. You guys are doing a great job with the podcast. Just wanted to voice my opinion in regards to Arch Linux. I found Arch to be faster and the most stable distro I have used even with the regular updates. The only time my system has broken after an update so far was my own fault due to not understanding at first what a pack.new are and how to handle them. As far as a distro that is for machines and robots, I think that would be Gen 2. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, he did. So the first uh, grenade in the uh, distro wars has, has begun. All you Gen 2-ites out there will now have to lash back at Arch. And we will be the mediators between going, he said that, and she said that, and that robot said that to that robot. (laughs) Yeah, and if there isn't any good flame come out of this, we might just have to generate some. And in the meanwhile, we'll be saying, go download Mint. (laughs) Right. Fedora. Fedora. Still, my best uh, um, go-to utility Linux distribution is Puppy. I, w- I don't want to live with it every day, 
But for a utility of Nopix. that's the one I go with. Nopix is good. Nopix is too heavy. Nopix is mine. Nopix takes too long to boot. Or if you're from Canada, too long to boot. Boot, <laughs> man. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that And we from. will now get flame from Canada. Boot. I, I know. Boot. It's funny. I know people from Canada, eh? And some of them are so stereotypical, and others of them are not. And I'm sure they say the same thing about people from Texas. You know, some of us are so stereotypical. So a little bit of navel gazing. Our friend Seth, the Link Hound, has found a uh, a page on ionlinux.com. E-Y-E-O-N, not I-O-N. Uh, ionlinux.com. Listing, it says, by Jim Lynch, here's a list of podcasts that you might want to tune into on your iPhone, iPod, iPad, or iPad mini. I think is interesting. So here's your iDevices. If you want to listen to a Linux show, um, and then he lists several, and we're near the bottom, but we're on the list. So thank you, Jim Lynch, for including us. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I just, you know, um, as I put in the show notes, we're getting more famouser. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> so more famouser. I like I'm, it. I'm just going to run down the ones that I know of. Going Linux. Uh, haven't listened to it. Linux Action Show. Uh, shell of the show it used to be before Lund Duke left. Uh, Linux for the rest let uh, rest of us our good friend Door uh, great show Linux Outlaws fine if you don't mind uh, the F word every sentence um, Linux Journal haven't listened to Linux in the Ham Shack I uh, one listen to listener to our show does that one I can't remember his name he's we've corresponded about it before but anyway one one of the Element OP community uh, does that one. Um, then he lists the Linux Action Show video. Interesting. Same show twice. This was just a Google search that he copied. Uh, yeah, that's what it looks like. Sunday Morning Linux Review. Tony is often found in our chat room. Uh, is he there right now? He's not there right now. So uh, the Element OP community was is well represented in this list, even if um, we're not terribly. So there you go. Yeah, we're kind of at the bottom. That's kind of sad. Hey, everyone in the EDL audience, see if we can't get that up a little higher. Bring a friend. You know, and Tell somebody. We, we we do fairly well in the search engine rankings. We come up first or second page, uh, depending on which br- uh, uh, browser or which search engine you use. But how you could really help us, and I know this is this is this is painful for a Linux user, but if you really love us, you'll do it. Go to iTunes and and rate us and and leave a review, because we have hundreds and hundreds of listeners to this show, and I think like five ratings or, or, and six reviews, something like that. barely enough to get ranked at all. Um, dude, I tried to go on there. You know, I was rebuilding an XP machine. I thought, you know, before I wipe this machine out and nuke it, let me install iTunes and I'm going to go, I'm going to go cheat for the element OP network, but I couldn't rate because I couldn't get iTunes to accept my account because I didn't want to put a credit card in there. And I know the way it said to go, I found like the iTunes support article that says how to do it, but the first step on how to do it, it won't let you do without having a credit card, yeah. at least when I tried to do it. Now, when so. I first signed up years ago, I signed up for iTunes uh, back before there was an iPod, um, when Apple was just selling that piece of, or, or offering that piece of software, uh, so I didn't have a, a credit card. So uh, I just looked at it. We have three reviews. They're all five-star. Thanks for that. Awesome. And uh, 12 ratings. 
Um, doesn't say what the uh, the average of those is five star. So appreciate that. Thanks for that. But uh, really, fifteen people out of our vast audience. Um, make it happen, people. That's that's not a request. That's an order. Go do it right now. If you're driving, I don't <laughs> care. Stop. Pull over to the nearest uh, mall. Go into the iTunes. Uh, what is that store? iTunes uh, Apple Store. Pull up our show on one of their computers. That'll show them. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that and send me money. Those those are those are your two commands. <laughs> Amazon Tong. Amazon.com slash uh, Everyday Linux or ElementOP or ElementOP.com slash Amazon. There you Thanks go. For trying. That's it. And you didn't remember that I because tried. you just had it in the bookmark and you always use it without ever actually typing it. I do. Right? Yeah. I do. Every time. And I do a lot of it shopping at Amazon. Right. Because out here in the boonies, you don't find anything in the stores. See, Jim in the chat room <laughs> says, remember, uh, this is a show about Linux. Most Linux users will avoid iTunes like the plague. I know that. I'm not telling you to use it. I'm saying load it up, go rate our show, and then delete it. That's what I'm... Go to your grandma's oh, house. Virtual machine. <laughs> there you go. A VM. Yeah. You know, before you rebuild your Windows machine, like, has the last act before you rebuild it, install iTunes, because that gives you a great reason to reinstall your OS. <laughs> yeah, once you've you loaded that thing. <laughs> once you've loaded because iTunes. It blows it up. I have to do it, because as a podcast producer, uh, there are things that I have to do, and I can only do through the iTunes software. And so I have to have it on my laptop, and it kills me. I, I just, because once it's there, it's got all these little tendrils that the the software update thing that even if you tell it not to do, it loads anyway. And and then this uh, bonjour something or other is always, and it's just all these. It's like it's it's like Saint Augustine roots. They just spread out and get into everything and get into the pipes and clog your toilets up just because you put that piece of software on your computer. Yep. It's another name for a virus. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> or I would not disagree with that statement. <laughs> would not disagree with that statement. That wisely said. So Oracle because, uh, is still trying to push Google around. Yeah. You know, they uh, the their case has um you know, we talked about this when it happened like back in the spring or fall or whenever it was. Basically the judge told Oracle um, it's an API. You can't copyright it. It's not that hard. I learned how to do it last night. Case dismissed. Um, so now Oracle is filing an appeal, and the crux of their appeal is um, they say, suppose there's this fictional person named Android, and what she did was she took um, the main character of Harry Potter and the main sentence of each paragraph and copied them and then wrote different supporting sentences and then beat the uh, Harry Potter book to market well that should be copyright infringement and uh, anyway it was just I I can't believe I mean Oracle if they would spend half as much time fixing all their Java security issues as they do trying to sue Google for money Java would be a great product that's all I have to say about that I don't know about that but we'll see I mean well <laughs> the link uh, and I'll, I'll stick it in the chat room it's just it's just kind of sad. You know, it's like, I don't know, they just seem like, they just want some respect, I think, now. And the way they're going about getting it is just making them look like even more of a sad joke. Now, now my understanding of this is that um, Oracle 
uh, Sun, now Oracle, released a series of APIs for Java. Right. And much the same way Samba has reverse engineered uh, the uh, um, Windows domain controller Active Directory code, the Google team just got down and said, okay, if this API does this when I do this, let's build something on the back end that does the same thing. So what you have was 100% or at least 90% Java-compatible engine. That's not Java, but can run Java apps, and they called it Dalvik. So uh, Oracle is trying to say that's infringement. You took the stuff we published freely and built off of it, like we encourage you to do, and that's bad. Yeah, because we're not making money off of it, so we want our money. And typical, typical for our day and age of let's sue the other guy. At, at least the one redeeming quality they have is they're not so much patent trolls. It is their stuff that they've developed, or in this case, a company they acquired developed. So it's not like somebody who went around buying useless patents trying to correct to uh, collect on them. This time, they actually developed the useless patent and are trying to collect on it. <laughs> And and rightly, after a long legal battle, the, the legal system got this one right and said this was not infringement, which just means come back and change a couple of sentences in your dra- uh, in your brief and try again. That's how right. the U.S. legal system yeah. works. Yeah, because the lawyers have to have something to do. We can't have a bunch of unemployed lawyers running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is they're employed anyway. They're on retainer. You're already paying right. them. Yep. You might as well give them something to do. Right. That's that's what this seems like more than anything else. I mean, having having retained a lawyer, I know that feeling. It's like I've already paid you. Do something. Go write a go write a draft. Brief me on something. <laughs> you know, don't just sit there for the money I've paid you. Right. You know, uh, have a word document open to Alt Tab whenever I walk around the desk. And yeah. I don't see the game you're playing. You know, at, at least look busy. <laughs> Lawyers, man. And it's their business. I'm not downing lawyers, but it's just um, I've I've gotten a bill from my lawyer uh, before with you know like answered email forty three dollars, you know uh, two minute phone conversation seventeen dollars. It's like wow, they Jeez. they they do and and again that's that's what we contracted them to do right where it's pay by the the minute or by the hour or whatever, um, and you know especially if it's a large law firm. Uh, they they require that, so it just it just kind of makes you nuts, right? I wish I could do that. Yeah, no kidding. I think I'm in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah. type something into Google because you were too lazy to search yeah. for it. Fifteen dollars. That would be how tech yeah. support agents should make their money. Manager came no by kidding. my office and wasted fifteen minutes of my time. Three hundred dollars. Because that's what they do. That's what managers do. Managers. Um, exist to make life harder for other people. I think that's a Dilbertism, if I remember correctly. It sounds about right. <laughs> so are Linux distros making any money? Well, it depends on who you ask. Yeah, you a lot ask. of it yeah, depends on the distro as well. So, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about Red Hat, and, uh, you know, they're a billion-dollar company um, now, and they are actually profitable, and... SUSE is actually profitable, but can- Canonical, who is you know the Ubuntu um, backer, 
they are not yet profitable. And it seems like every time they're about to get there, they do something really stupid. Um, or it might not be stupid. It just maybe they're looking farther ahead than we are. So, uh, you mean yeah, like there's a the Ubuntu phone. Yeah. Right. Sousa says they uh, made $200 million last year with expecting to grow more. Red Hat, Red Hat had a, uh, a reported profit of $32 million with a total revenue of $300 million. So they're making about 10%, which is good margins in any business. And that's mm-hmm. for that's for a quarter, so that's really good. Yeah. So it all depends on what you do, and and but the the thing to be noted is that these people are not making their money off of selling distros. Although both Red Hat and Sousa sell discs, they're making their money on the support. Right. Yep. It's the ecosystem where you make the money in open source. Right. And I, I might want to point out this that article was by Brian Lunduke the uh internet <laughs> internet punching bag that was the 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 linux whipping boy <laughs> <laughs> he's not afraid to say incendiary things uh not not something he and i have in common uh he's just had a, a longer track record of it right and yeah, he's, well, he's he more must be making well good known. money doing it because he keeps doing it yeah well there is no bad publicity they say <laughs> yeah the only bad publicity is no publicity i think is one way of yeah. saying it and then uh another in a, a series of surveys saying that if you've got linux skill you can make bank on it yeah um the uh dice um 2013 linux uh jobs report survey which was conducted by the linux foundation and dice uh, and dice is the self-proclaimed number one technology job board and in my opinion, it, that's probably right because they have tons of tech jobs out there. Um, there's lots of job openings, and hiring managers say they plan to hire, and they also say it is very difficult to find Linux pros. And then there's also an almost uh, 10% increase in Linux salaries this year. So um, you know, if you want to, and uh, we'll give a free a free plug to the Linux Academy, you know, you want to go there and invest some money and go through some skills. Maybe you can get yourself a Linux uh, IT professional job. So just to hit some of the highlights from the survey, 93% of managers say they will hire a Linux pro in the next six months. Um, Nine out of 10 uh, said that finding Linux talent is difficult. 75% of Linux pros said they have received at least one call from a recruiter in the last six months, so these are these are not um, conclusive things, but you can draw some uh, inferences from them. Like the headhunter thing, I mean, I I don't have great Linux skills, and I get headhunting things. So it depends on how you ask that question. Do you right. know what Linux is? Yes. Has a headhunter called you in the last six months? Yes. All right, that serves our uh, survey. So. You know, and it's that whole thing, liars figure. So it depends on how they ask the questions. But the uh, the unavoidable truth is uh, it is better to know Linux than to not know Linux if you're in IT. Right. Yeah. You know, the sad thing is, is I was just flipping around through Dice and I did the whole search by Linux and then the area, you know, how you can search by area. There's right. one job. For my area, for Linux, that is looking for Linux. It's like, wow, 
guess I'm not going to be doing anything anytime soon unless it's remote. Yeah. And so here's a story that I thought would be interesting for this audience. Thank you, Seth, for putting it in there. The Google Chromebook Pixel. It costs more than a MacBook Air. It's not as good as a MacBook Air, but it's got a touchscreen, and that makes it okay. Yay! Not. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I. Uh, it just seemed, well, you know, because Chromebook, you think cheap, or at least I do. Oh, it's a Chromebook, so it's cheap. So they aren't necessarily cheap, and not just price, but in terms of quality. So, you know, the specs on it, you know, the specs they cover, and of course, you know, they only put the ones in there to make it look good. Um, it's not like an entry-level laptop for sure. But if you want to run Chrome and you're in an environment where, you know, you are always, like for me, at my house, just the Chrome book is not something that would go over well yeah. because I just, I don't have that solid connection to the internet. But if you do and you are a fan of the Google um, ecosystem, you know, you use Gmail, you're on Google Plus, and, you know, you like the Google Play Marketplace, then, hey, it, this could be something for you. You don't have to pull out your cheap Chromebook. You can pull out your overpriced Chromebook and compare it to all the overpriced MacBooks running around. Um, so here's the, uh, um, the question that nobody's ever answered for me before. If we're talking about uh, $1,400 for this box, and that's that's what they're talking about, how is that better than buying a MacBook Air or uh, an Intel Ultrabook um, and running Chrome on it? So if, if the whole thing a Chromebook does is run Chrome, how, how is it better to buy a machine with less capabilities than to buy a full-on machine and just throw the Chrome browser on it? Well... A possible answer would be the Chrome OS is optimized for that specific hardware set. And so you would get better performance out of lesser hardware because that's what it was designed for. Don't know if that's an answer, but that is a possible answer. Uh, okay. Let's say I stipulate I, that's I true. I can't believe that. Yeah, but okay. I, let's say it's true. What kind of performance gain are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking... You know, twenty at the most. That's that's on the huge end of the scale. Twenty percent better. Right. It's probably more like six percent better. And right. if and you're dealing with web pages anyway, so um, that six percent. What sort of super heavy duty web apps are there where that six percent is going to make a difference? I, I'm not aware of any. Well, yeah, I'm not either. But do you want to have your profit go to Google, or do you want to have your profit go to Apple, or do you want to have your profit go to Intel and Microsoft? Which large multinational company whose sole purpose is to screw as many people as possible do I want to support? Doesn't matter. Right, you but know? which which one has the company model do no evil? <laughs> which one yeah. has, has ignored that model for a long time? Um, hey, whoa, let's not get into facts now, Mark. Come on. <laughs> You're ruining a perfectly good conversation. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. I won't do that again. Jeez. What are you guys doing? You know, and again, uh, I'm I'm not anti-Google at all. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty much a Google fanboy. But that whole thing that Google has your interest at heart is garbage. Google has their bottom line's interest at heart. That's what a corporation is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
I I don't disagree, but you know we got to talk about stuff and see who we can piss off this week. So uh, why not go for Google? <laughs> oh, I've got a long <laughs> list of people I can piss off. It's just you know there's a couple of words I can say. It's like a magic incantation that I know will bring down the ire. Uh, but while we're on the subject, let's talk about the future of the consumer electronics market. Of course, anytime you talk about the future, you're wrong. So let's just stipulate that for the beginning. Uh, but things are changing. You know, um, uh, one of the stories we have here, uh, Best Buy is offering an online uh, uh, price matching thing because they got tired of being Amazon.com's showroom. People right. would go to Best Buy, touch the machine, <laughs> poke at it, pick it up, look, yeah, I like it, pull out their smartphone and order it from the Amazon app in the store. Right. That's awesome. That's would if I had a Best Buy close, I probably probably do the same thing. And so Best Buy has said, "Fine, we'll match the price." Um, can they handle that? About I time. don't know. They've got to have more overhead than Amazon. Uh, but you know, uh, and then so Apple's uh, Google is uh, going to say they're saying they're going to open retail stores. Um, for what purpose? Uh, I mean, let's think about this. Google yeah. only has like what four products. There's that the Google TV, there's the round circle thingy, I don't remember what it was called. There's their Nexus line of phones and their their tablets. Tablets, yeah. And the Chromebook. Yeah. So there's five tablet, five products there. Right, but they're coming out with Google Glass. Google Glass. Okay, um, six. Uh, and then you know, but I don't know Apple. They sell basically a MacBook, an iPad, an iPhone, yeah. and an iPod. And yet they have the ultra hip, you know, smug base <laughs> capital of the world, and people can't seem to get enough of their stores. So yeah, okay, I, I can accept that. So they're going to have, I mean, but six products is not a store; it's an end cap. It's you right, know, yeah. it's it's a display uh, in somebody else's store at the grocery store. Um, so they're going to have you know their version of the Genius Bar, you know, the Google Geek Lounge. Uh, where you go there and <laughs> some Linux guy insults you as he fixes your problem, uh, like they do at the Apple stores Probably. and the AT&T. Gosh, have you ever been to an AT&T store? That's an exercise oh. in being insulted with a smile. Um, but So I have to wonder what a Chrome store is going to look like. What are they going to sell? Maybe they're, maybe it's going to be a showroom for their partner's products as well, Motorola and Samsung. Like The, you know, the Galaxy S3 is the number one Android phone right now. Right. So presumably Samsung would have a presence in the Android store. Uh, Samsung also makes some of the Chromebooks. Um, so maybe that's their going to way to do it. Um, I don't know. It'll be that's interesting. That's the only to see way I can see it. But while other, other companies are pulling away from, from physical stores, you know, Circuit City closed their doors pretty much nationwide. There's still a few of them left. Um, CompUSA shut down as well. Uh, so people are, are backing down from the retail model. Some of these guys are doubling down on it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I don't, I don't buy in stores very much anymore. I buy through Amazon. I buy online. I, I, you know, I've got an app on my phone. I order whatever I want. I'm still, I'm not an Amazon Prime person, but I probably will be. They're going to get me before long. Oh, um, you'll love Prime when you go to yeah. it, Mark. I can guarantee it. But you know, just this week, I do. I, I ordered like four things online. I ordered a pair of shoes Friday. They're supposed to be here Monday. That that's. You know, that's barely better than a store. Just barely. Uh, if I had needed to, to wear them this weekend, you know, if I was looking for shoes to wear with a tux for a wedding on Sunday, an online store or a retail store would beat it. But that's a pretty rare 
um, situation now where you can't wait a couple of days. Or, but again, with you or know, like Amazon it. Prime, you're going to get your overnight for free. So, uh, four dollars for overnight. Excuse me, four dollars. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Which is I spend more than that on gas. <laughs> what was it? I, I can't. It was this new story a while back. It was something like Amazon loses five hundred million dollars a year or more on shipping. It was a huge number that they write off every year on shipping because they're paying a heck of a lot more than four dollars to send send you something overnight. Yeah. Right. But it, it'll be an interesting space to watch. What what are what's the retail market going to be like for buying? Yeah. Yeah, Walmart came and they killed all of the, and of course, all is a great word, but you know, they killed all of the small shops, the small places and the niche stores. And then, you know, online came and is really putting a crimp into like Walmart. And the one article that uh, I found, this guy coined the term, the D best buyification of consumer electronics. And I just thought that was a cool word, but um, you know, it's kind of one of those, if you're a Google play person, then you're going to be someone who gravitates to a Google store. You know, if you're an iTunes uh, junkie, then you're going to go to the Apple store and look smugly at everyone who walks by the door in a daze because they haven't come to their dependence on Apple yet. And if you're somebody who actually loves Microsoft, then, you know, you're going to gravitate towards the Microsoft stores. And, you know, when you talk about the future of consumer electronics like that, then all of a sudden what Ubuntu is doing with their uh, tablet and their phone and what they're doing with their OS and all that, it makes more sense. They're trying to create an ecosystem where, you know, you're not going to have your Windows desktop, your Linux phone, and your Apple tablet because that means you're going to have to pay for something three different times. You know, you're they're, it's trying to get to the point to where you're this for everything and I, I don't really like that, but that seems to be where the market is heading. And as it gets more to that, a place like a standalone Best Buy that tries to sell everything, is there a future for them in the world? There was a great comic, the uh, Joy of Tech comic, Nitro, Zack, and Snaggy, uh, what a Google Store shopping experience will be like. You walk up, they hand you a bag of stuff. Uh, based on your uh, search patterns and what we know about you, these is, this is what you're likely to buy. We've also included reminders for things that you're probably going to be running out of soon, uh, and the money has already been taken from your account. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, and more, a lot of people would be like, oh, oh, thank you. Bye. Yeah, I'm not and bothered not by that at all. About it. You know, it, instead of making me go to the store, just have the stuff show up on my on my doorstep whenever Google thinks I need it. I'm okay with that. To some I, extent. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I I don't I don't like it whenever like whatever tells me what they think I like. I re- I hate that with the passion. Well, I want, it depends on how good they are. If they're right. right, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Like for example, Netflix recommendations. Netflix recommendations for me personally are so good, everything they recommend, I already have. So it ends up being useless because they never recommend yeah. anything new to me. But again, I'm a huge movie buff. I have lots of movies. Uh, but it's a very good recommendation engine because everything they recommend, I already have. Um, other people find find it to be useless. It just you know depends on on you on the person, I guess. Yeah, and I purposely like when I watch stuff on Netflix, I don't like or comment ever um, because I don't want to be rec. I want to go out and 
sit through an awful film because I didn't know anything about it and, you know, discover something because I wasn't expecting it and I thought I would try it. And wow, that turned out to be really awesome. You know, I, I enjoy that aspect of it as much as the actual film. So you are the perfect candidate for this next article in the godfatherpolitics.com. I, I don't know if you knew this, Seth, but uh, I just this afternoon, I had a back and forth with one of my Facebook buddies about this very article. I saw that, and that's why I put it yeah, in here. Okay. So so uh, the, the, uh, the author over there, I'm looking for his name at Godfather Politics, um, writes an article um, where he really goes out of his way to say that Google... Um, is giving away your information to police. But if you if you actually read the fine print, what it says is they're giving away stuff that they're required to give by law and other stuff that they're not required to give, uh, to, that they're not required to have a warrant for. For example, some of the stuff that they say um, Google is giving away, your, your pri- personal private information that they're handing over willy-nilly to anybody who asks for it, are things like your IP address, the to and from addresses of emails you've sent. Not the contents of the email, just who you sent to and who mail came from. All of this stuff is analogous to um, putting a, 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 a detective outside your apartment and watching you for a couple of days. I can know where yep. you work. I can know where you live. I can know the routes you take in between the two. They're talking about the digital equivalent of that. This is, quote, internet public information. It's public information, but it's, it's, it's internet public, so people don't understand it. So articles like this, frankly, they piss me off because they're trying to scare people into saying that, that the internet is big and bad and the government is even worse because they're collecting all this information on you. But it's all information that is public. It's information you willingly give to people. If you get on the internet, you're giving out your IP address everywhere you go. You have to. That's how the internet works. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can't go apply for something unless you give out your physical address. You know, you don't have to give your physical address to anybody, but you can't get a credit card. You know, there's lots of stuff you can't do if you don't want to give your address. So it's the same. Yeah, and that's, I thought, especially since, we you know, we're talking about backup, and then one aspect of backing up is, you know, online or cloud storage. And it's just good to know that, you know, you're putting this out in the public and you're giving someone else control over this information. And a lot of it is necessary for it to function and it's not good or bad. Um, but it's just, I was hoping to use it kind of like has an education thing right. of like, you know, just because somebody knows your email address and who you send stuff to that, I mean, that's not bad. Right. And, and and what they do say is that you can get a warrant, you can get a subpoena to uh un- to open the email. Okay, just like they can you can get a subpoena to open the the physical mail coming to your house. They can do that, by the way. Yeah. The government can have the post office open all your mail if they have the proper warrants to do that. So G- uh, Gmail can do the same thing. They can they can open your mail and send copies to people. If it's encrypted, as Gmail is, HTTPS colon slash slash mail.google.com, um, that is encrypted. They can decrypt it. They have to be able to decrypt it to to present it to you in a web-readable function. Uh, Dropbox, uh, that, that we've talked about many times, um, the data is encrypted, but they can unencrypt it. They have to be able to to back it up. So anything mm-hmm. like that, can't they can be compelled 
to um, to decrypt your data. Now, there are services like LastPass. LastPass does not have the ability to decrypt your information. They don't know it. The, the encryption information is stored on your machine. Only you and your machine know it. So they can't do it. The, 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 the legal people at anywhere they want can give them as many summons and, and uh, warrants and writs of habeas whatevers they want, but it won't matter. They can say, I don't know. I don't have it. So if you're you know a tinfoil hatter and you're worried about that, look for services that can't encrypt your data, that can't get it back. Yeah, or invest or encrypt in something. locally before you yeah. go up. Right, encrypt locally. Yeah, Dropbox. There are tools that do that. Well, that will encrypt stuff uh, and um, send it to Dropbox encrypted. Then you know it's just noise to them. Yeah, it's just ones and zeros, and they don't really have a clue what it is. Uh, just in our in our own Element OP um, privacy policy in terms of use, uh, I have some some lines in there about what we will do um here's here's my by the way i ran this by a lawyer and it's legal if though it's not legalese uh, under the section do we share your information it says we may share anonymized aggregate reports uh, with our partners this means that for example we might show a prospective advertiser report dealing how many people have visited our website in the last month broken down by geographic location which we guess from your ip address browser type and operating system this is all stuff your browser willingly hands out to any site that asks for it if we're presented with a summons, court order, warrant, or other legally binding document of a government or law enforcement agency, we will sing like canaries in a cage and tell them everything we know about you. We have to. That's why it's called the law. So that's yep. what's in our terms of service. I like that. I had actually never read our terms of service. Well, there you go. And see, and, and that's the thing. People don't read the terms of service. They have an unrealistic or even unknown expectation of privacy and security because you're using this machine in the privacy of your own house. And so you have a subconscious expectation of privacy and anonymity, anonymousness, uh, whatever. Anonymity is the word. Anonymity, yes. That isn't the case because because you're on a public exchange and uh so whenever you're confronted with oh my gosh i didn't know they could do that well the reason you didn't know they could do that is because you did not bother to read the terms of service you just clicked the i agree let me use this crap uh and i'm guilty of that i do that all the time um and you know because you did not read the information presented, all of a sudden you scream, you know, you scream foul and privacy and government conspiracy when somebody throws in uh, fear mongering and they present facts, but in a way to incite fear and panic. Right. The most commonly right. told lie in the world is I have read and agree with the terms of service and the privacy statement. <laughs> right. I have I've told that lie millions of times in my career. I've installed Windows thousands of times and never once read the agreement, but I've always clicked the button that said I did. Yep. You, you are not alone in that. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone on the planet is that way. So, because we're bred to do that nowadays, right. isn't it? The next just click next 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 next. Yeah. 
I also wanted to read, let's see, I already closed it, but thanks with thanks to Chrome's reopen close tab, I can get it right back. Um, there's a section in, in the privacy policy that I put about cookies. People get bent out of shape about cookies. Here's my response to that in the Element OP privacy policy. Do we use cookies? Yes. And you should probably just get over the whole fear of cookies things. They're an essential part of what makes websites interactive. Stop worrying about your cookies. Just stop. I, the malware bytes is that the one yeah it's still as good as it is every time i run a scan it comes up with a hundred potential security threats and they're cookies they're yeah, not but security that's, threats it's every antivirus engine or whatever right. unless you go in and tell it to exclude them you know that option is there to uh you know incite fear all yeah. right so let's move on to backups and backup strategies now we've talked about this sort of stuff off and on for uh, for the 83 previous episodes we've mentioned everything we're talking about here we've mentioned before uh but you know one of our listeners said hey you never did a show on backing up so we're going to sort of going to cram everything together we're not going to go into great detail um because as i said we've covered all of it before and a lot of it's just common sense but we're going to put it out there our plan uh and strategies for backup in general and the first one is you got to have at least two backups, not two copies, two backups. So you want the original data, you want an on-site copy of that, and then an off-site copy of it. You have to have that. If your backup strategy does not include those three copies, you're not backed up. Yep. See, when I was when I was going to school, my professors always told us you have to have three of of anything, no matter what your what document you're working on, you have to have it in three different locations. Otherwise, it doesn't exist because right. anything can be taken away. So, for me, being in a, a starving college kid, I had everything in my either on a oh heck, what do we have? We had little, we didn't even have thumb drives, but it was floppy disk stuff. Um, but we had to have it on site in our local you know um, network share. We had to have it um, on our floppy disk, and then we had to have a third copy somewhere because if it wasn't three places, my professor would fail you. Wow! And you had to document all three places. And when I, when I where I used to work, there was an uh, an I don't want to say old lady. There was a a lady of advancing years who was in charge of one of the important systems, and this was back in like ninety eight. So. You could put the whole fly, uh, whole database on a couple of floppy disks, and every night she would make a backup and take those floppy disks home with her and put them under her pillow. I'm not kidding, under her pillow. Um, but you know, as as um, ridiculous as that may seem on the on the surface, that's probably the best backup plan she could have come up with because she had the copies on the on the machine there that she worked with, and then she took some home with her. So what it would take to knock both of those out would be a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that, in which case your database is probably not going to be of paramount importance. Right. Right. Uh, as I've talked about, I just mentioned on the show, I use Dropbox. Uh, things that I want to have access to, I put in Dropbox. That covers all of those bases. Because I have Dropbox, I'm looking at one, two, three, four machines right here in front of me that have Dropbox on it. Everything in, in the Dropbox account is synced to all four of those, plus it's on the cloud, and they're backing it up, and it's on their content delivery network, which is distributed across. So there's copies of it everywhere. 
Um, Crash Plan is another good one, good one like yeah. that. Uh, you can, for a fee, sync it up to their service. Or if you got a buddy uh, who, like Chris, lives in Montana, the, the odds of the same event bringing down my machine and his, if, if something happens that big, we're not going to be worrying about data. You know, right. that, that we're talking a nuclear event at that point or, or, or a, a, a global continent shifting event. So he could give me a chunk of his hard drive. I could give him a chunk of mine and we could share data back and forth for free using crash plan and solve, uh, uh that conundrum. I've got an offsite copy in Montana. He's got an offsite cap site copy in Georgia. It's a win-win. Sounds like a good idea. Trouble is geeks don't have friends. Uh, so that no, no, I'm kidding. Oh, uh, you have to go go out to a mixer and make some friends. Um, stop posting angry YouTube comments long enough to make a friend or two, uh, and and you might be able to do something like that. Crash Plan is a great tool for that. Um, Chris, uh, Chris, do you use their paid service? I think I remember you saying you did. Um, yeah, I'm working on it. Um, it's going to become one of those things that's going to be um, business wide for me, and it's, I'm going to incorporate my home accounts in with it too. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a family plan because for cost per um, machine, they're the best price right now from what I've been investigating. And uh, Linux Ghost in the chat room says, I back up my data to one extra hard drive and one backup works fine for me. Okay. You know, if you're not interested in your data that much, then that's fine. It just depends on how important your data is. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, for me, I've got, you know, pictures of my kids. I stopped using film before they were born. There has never been a film picture taken of my kids by me. Other people may have, but I've never done it. Those are important to me. I'm not going to keep all of them at my house. An extra hard drive doesn't cut that because if something happens to my house, it's a flood or a fire. I lose every documentation of my children from the day they were born. That's unacceptable. Could you do the same thing with the new Google Drive feature? You know, if you Absolutely. have Google Drive installed and you use the same account on multiple computers, then you have it in Google's website, um, in Google's cloud, plus you have it on your local machine. And one thing that you haven't talked about yet is just keeping all your data on the cloud isn't necessarily good because what happens if one day you go to, you know, whatever, cloudbackup.com, and it closed yesterday? Then right. if, if that was your only source, if you have three, you're safe because you have your other site that you can make another backup from. But if your only source is cloudbackup.com and all of a sudden they start charging a million dollars a day if you want to see it, then, you know, you got to pony up the money or, or you've lost it. Right. So there again, my three, my earlier statement of having it in three separate locations right. fits still. Right. Regardless if they're three cloud locations or three local locations or whatever, three locations is the only way to do it. Now, my primary Inlet- camera these days is my phone, as I think is for most people. Uh, and I have Google Plus set and Dropbox both set to every time I take a picture, it goes up to both those sites. Uh, Google Plus doesn't count that against your storage space. The pictures that are automatically synced don't count against your storage, your Google Drive storage space. Awesomeness. That uh, is awesome. So, yeah. And they, they, I think they've stopped resizing them. They used to resize them. Now I think they're storing them at full size because back data Google has back has hard drives to for days. Um, right. So, uh, in the next DSLR I buy, 
is going to have the Android OS on it, so I can do the exact same thing with my camera. And so I'll yep. go out and I'll take pictures, and when I come back home, they'll sync up to my Wi-Fi and go to Google Plus automatically. But I will also still have a local copy uh, or two at my house. So that's that's just me. Things that are important to me, you got to have three three copies. Right. The second thing that's critical is it has to be automatic. You can't trust yourself to remember to back stuff up. Uh, yep. One of my earlier attempts at uh, uh, having a backup system back when data were were smaller. Um, and yes, data is a plural word, so were is the right. I know the grammar Nazis were going to catch me on that. Back when data were smaller, um, I put uh, a writable DVD in my computer and hit the backup button, and I had a little script that backed everything up, and I did that uh, once a week. No, I didn't. I told myself I was going to do it once a week, once a month if I was lucky, once every six months in, in more in reality. You're just not going to do it. So it's right. got to be automated. It's got to happen automatically without you thinking about it or it's just not yep. a good backup solution that's why a lot of those usb hard drives come with those backup routines built into them right um if in case you're ever wondering when you plugged in your thump your big ginormous two terabyte hard drive that you bought from walmart ha 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 um <laughs> that's why they have those clients built into them and so that way it becomes automatic and so you don't have to think about it but you have to configure them then I saw an article on one of the blogs that I read. Uh, it was a picture of a, a circular a, a magazine. You remember those when we used to print things uh, from 2003, that? 10 years ago. And it had a two gig thumb drive for only $169. How far we've wow. come in only, only 10 years. Seth, oh, did yeah. you have any comments on the automatic nature of it? Yeah, no. That is so, so true. And now, if you want to be somebody who you set up the automation yourself, you know, whether it be a script or whatever, because I have my backing up because I don't really have a network and I don't really take a lot of pictures or do much stuff that I deem worthy of backing up. I have an external hard drive and occasionally, and occasionally can mean a couple of times a day or a couple of times every other year go in and update the changes I've made on my local machine to the folder, corresponding folders on the hard drive. So even though I have a Dropbox account, I, I have the tools to create a backup. I don't really have a backup. If my computer died, I would be scrambling with some spin right to resuscitate right. that hard drive to get the information off of it. Um, because I don't, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do it, but, uh, you know, someday in the sweet by and by, when we meet on that beautiful shore, I will uh, back up my stuff on a routine basis. So what got me started down this road uh, of being so fanatical about backups is when my primary hard drive died and I found out that my backup system that I thought was so good wasn't working. And every picture I had taken of my first born, ch born child for the first three years of her life were gone. Ooh. Yeah, you think that's a scary moment. You you think your wife's gonna be happy about that? No. <laughs> so uh, that's yeah. when I first bought Spinrite. I'm gonna sound like a commercial for a little bit here. I used every tool I could to get that data back, and I couldn't. I used Spinrite. Spinrite couldn't completely recover the drive, but it got all my pictures. That next week, I bought uh, a, a version of of 
Carbonite that I've been paying for for years now for that, uh, and Dropbox. And now I also use Google Plus and Google Drive and those other tools. But I don't ever want that to happen again. That was the sickest feeling ever. Um, you know, all those amazing – The if you've never had a, had a kid, you don't understand. But that first, like, five minutes with your baby is a magical time that you're snapping lots of pictures of, frankly, this ugly, dirty thing that doesn't even look human. But it's the most beautiful thing in the world to you. Um, and those were all gone. And it was heartbreaking. Yep. Um, and I've I never want to be in that situation again. Plus, I like being married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there a couple of times where um, I've had my my backup server because I do a local backup on my machine, and then I have a copy to a, my in-house server, and then I have it going out. I will have it going out too, um, outside of Dropbox to something like Crash Plan or Carbonite. Um, but I had my backup server fail as I was in the middle of rebuilding my machine. So it was that whole moment of, uh-oh, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, what do you mean there's a hard drive failure in my RAID 5 or whatever it was at the time? Um, it was very scary. and But luckily, um, I was able to slap drives around and was able to recover all my stuff like you did, Mark. But right. yeah, that first half hour is, is you're in the pit of your stomach going, Holy crap, now what am I going to do? Yeah. And the I, computer we have. It's so old that the the CMOS battery is dead on it, and every time it reboots, I have to reset the clock because it goes back to like 2004. Um, and the hard drive is making weird noises, and if I close the cabinet door, it overheats and shuts down. I mean, it's got issues, and I know it's going to die any minute now, but I'm not worried about it because... I've got carbonite on that machine backing everything up that I consider important. So when it dies, I'll just get a new machine and download the stuff from carbonite and be fine. Hey, Chris, you brought up a point when you talked about having RAID on your machine. If somebody's listening out there and you think, oh, I don't have to worry about this because my computer has RAID whatever 10. So, um, and so if a hard drive fails, it's no problem. I've got it on a spare. Well, what happens if your backplane fails and your RAID configuration is no longer recognizable? You have to scour yep. the interwebs looking for the exact same mo- the exact same model, and if you can find it, and you hope to get it back. So, RAID and it doesn't is- have to be that uh, dramatic. What happens if you delete a file? RAID doesn't right. help you there. It's deleted right. yeah. across the whole thing. Well, right, and like so. Seth was saying, um, I've had a couple of times where a motherboard failed. I have I, before I was smart and got an actual RAID card. Um, I've had motherboards that hadn't RAID on it and was thinking, "Oh, I'm super smart here. I'm using RAID," and then motherboard failed, and I couldn't find a motherboard that was using the same spec of RAID or the same. You like you're saying, Seth, the same backend, and I was like, "Well, there goes my RAID because I can't rebuild it." Yeah, all the data is there. It's still on all those hard drives. You just have no way to access it. So, you know, my point is just that, you know, you can't... RAID is great, and it's a great plank in redundancy settings, but it can't be the only plank, or it's only a matter of time before it breaks with you standing on the middle of it. Right. And you guys just hit my next point, which was RAID if you can get it. A backup system should include RAID if you can. Um, now that your, your home computer can be configured with RAID. Absolutely. Like you guys have just said, um, you can be sure 
all of your cloud stuff is RAID plus RAID plus RAID. They've got that thing spread all over the place. Uh, RAID we've talked about before. It's a redundant array of independent disks that stripes the information across so that the data doesn't live on any one disk. It lives across all the disks. And then there's a parity bit that can be, uh, it can use that to rebuild the information. So, And, you know, and there's a lot of people, um, I, I have a couple of clients here locally that are, moving to they want to have a backup system in in their house but they don't want to spend the money because i um i was bring i've been talking to like one was a lawyer so they want to have everything you know paperless and i was telling them well we need to have your offsite and then a, your on-site storage you should be raid and i brought up you know drobo and and all these you know boxes that are raid like in it costs a little bit of money, but when you look at it as the simple fact that you don't have to administer that RAID box, and if it does fail, the RAID system breaks, someone like Drobo is going to have systems to recover that stuff. So RAID is a good thing. Don't be afraid of it. Just use it correctly. Yeah, and if you're a Linux user, LVM is not RAID. No. <laughs> don't trust it. No. <laughs> That's not to say LVM is bad. It's just not the same thing as RAID. And now to... I will never trust it. ...the grand reveal, uh, one hour wait, wait. plus into the show. What, what, what? I was going to say, before you go into your granddaddy thing, let's let's talk about the one I just put in at the bottom. Okay, you go right ahead. Okay, the this is something for your Linux guys who don't want to set up your... Um, you know your batch file or, or whatever you want to do it's a program called back in time and every linux distro has it it's 100 percent free and it works like time machine so you point it at a hard drive or a network store or whatever and it does your snapshot backups so you'll have um your raw backup the first time and then it does um, incremental backups in uh, a, a scheduled time zone uh, but it, it's a nice little tool. Uh, I use it currently on my Linux boxes that I don't, um, for example, my laptop, I don't have anything on it, so I'm not worried about if it blows up. But on my other Linux machines, I use back in time to go to my backup server to store everything. And it's a nice tool. It's very similar to uh, Time Machine for Macintosh. Yeah, and uh, also if ButterFS actually becomes a reality... <laughs> It's supposed to have built-in uh, uh, backups and, and journaling and all that good sort of stuff. Um, it if, does have it. I've yeah. played with it. It's not bad. It's just not ready yet. Yeah. On the Windows side, uh, everything from Windows 7 up has shadow copy built in. It's not turned on. I don't know why that is. Uh, but it basically is a, a makes a copy of everything on your hard drive. Uh, uh, so there, there are people... Uh, who make software are starting to build these things into the system. Uh, so I think in a few years, it's going to be a non-issue, but we're not a few years yet. Oh, and one point of my platform I, I, I missed is avoid redundancy if possible. Now, all the systems I mentioned already, uh, Dropbox and, and uh, um, Crash Plan and Carbonite, they don't avoid redundancy. If you're backing up six Windows machines, you're going to get all the Windows stuff on it and you're going to take up that much space 
Uh, but good enterprise systems will avoid that, and they'll only back up the file one time. So that's that's when you're moving into the really good stuff. Data deduplication. Yes, is the uh, industry term. Once again, ButterFS supposed to have it at some point eventually. Soon. Soon. As the Linux people always say. <laughs> yes, coming next year. Um, <laughs> backup PC is my favorite backup tool ever. Let me tell you what it's good at. Automatic cross-platform backups. No clients necessary. Although, uh, it can, if you give it a Windows password, it can jump into your Windows machines through Samba. You give it um, an SSH um, back uh, key pair, it can jump into Linux machines. No problem. Um, you can do the same thing SSH on, on Mac machines. It could get into to anything with no clients. However, if you're running on a Windows clients, I highly recommend you do install an rsync um, client on your Windows machine. There's free open source ones available, and we'll get into rsync in a little bit as to what that is. Um, web-based administration. It has its own little web page that you can get to, you know, if you set your firewall upright from anywhere in the world. Why, why is that cool? Because you can actually recover your data from that web interface. Just like with Carbonite, I can go anywhere in the world, I can find my uh, actual archive of stuff and download files one, onesie-twosie if I want to without having to restore them to my machine. A Dropbox is the same way. I can do the same thing. Um, it's near instant recovery because it's hard drive-based. Now, most of the home users aren't going to remember tape drives, but anybody in the enterprise world is probably still dealing with tape drives. They are still the industry standard. And yes. they're terrible. With a capital terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a company that makes a hard drive uh, backup system. I don't even remember what they are, but their website is tapesucks.com. Uh, and and every, everybody's ever, I mean, I bought one of those, actually two of them, um, multi-thousand dollar uh, five bay tape drives. Uh, anybody who's been in enterprise has used these things. And they're, they're seven to $12,000, depending on what you get. Um, and they act like a CD changer, right? They pull a tape in, they load it, but, but with tapes, just like, just like the old days, you got to rewind to the beginning and then fast forward through looking at the data until you get to what you want. Then you can start backing it up or restoring it, whichever the case may be. And then if, or both, and if you don't know if your index isn't good and often they're not, you don't know which tape it's on. So you can't tell it load tape four. So it's got to start with tape one, scan all the way through tape one, unload that, pull up tape two, scan all the way through tape two, yada, yada, yada. Back when I was running that system, somebody called me up about a file that needed to be restored. I'd go in and say, all right, it, uh, talk to me tomorrow. It's going to be minimum two hours, more likely 12 hours, depending on what you want. Yep. So I go in through the web interface. The web interface would be indexed. Actually, it wasn't a web. It was a software interface on the machine. And it would know where the stuff was. And I could tell it this file I wanted, but it wouldn't know where it was on the tape. So it'd have to go start scanning. I, I think this was an HP system, if I remember correctly. And it was industry standard. And it sucked that much. And there are yep. still systems that do that. The tapes are more dense now, so you can store more stuff on a tape. But it still sucks that much. Or more. Or more. <laughs> or more. Or more. Yeah. I, we cannot... Oh, golly. It's just Words cannot describe the ire that boils in me 
at the mention of state backups. <laughs> See, we're three enterprise IT guys. We've all played that game before. And it's great to have your stuff backed up. It's awesome. But the the act of restoring it and the speed of backing it up, oh, it's 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 painful. And so what I used to do was once a week I had uh, I had five tapes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every Friday, I would pull all five of those tapes out, go drive across town, put them in a fireproof safe, load five more tapes in, and we didn't back up on the weekends because nobody was using the system on the weekends. Um, and so the next week, it would back up on those tapes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'd go pull those and then put those in the safe and then pull the ones from two weeks ago back out and put those in. So I was rotating three sets of tapes in that were very expensive, by the way, about a hundred bucks yeah. per cassette. Oh, One more. It's terrible. Yeah, but that's what I was paying back then, and I didn't end. Up, I didn't have enough capacity to do what I needed to do anyway. So I was cherry picking the files I needed to back up. Then I found backup PC, and it near instant recovery. I was on the phone with a teacher who said, "I've lost. The student has lost this file. It's a you know, it's a nine weeks project. It's pretty important. I need to get it back." While she was telling me how important it was. I had restored it. I said, okay, have her check now. And it's there. She's like, what? Yeah, go go have the student look in their folder. It's there now. Because you're dealing with hard drives. Hard drives have that, you know, three millisecond seek time or whatever. So it's it's amazing. I had this thing on industry-grade um, hardware. You don't have to put it on that, but that's what I had it on. So it was, it was amazingly fast. Um, and Backup PC uses something called pooling, which is the, the data, uh, the deduplication process. Say you're backing up a lab of 30 Windows machines. You probably wouldn't, but let's just say you are. They're going to have the exact same Windows files on every machine. What Backup PC do, will do is back up all of them once, and then on the next machine, it will go, oh, I've already got that file. Let me just make a link to it. And then goes, to the, oh, I've already got that file. Let's make a link to it. And so by the time but by the time you've compressed it and done the pooling and all that sort of stuff, you generally had a compression ratio of about 85 to 90%. So if you were storing a terabyte, you could put it on 100 megabytes. Because so much of our data is redundant. I think I read a few years ago where it's estimated up to 95% of all data stored in the world is redundant data. The 5% is what we actually care about. We have to store the other 95 to, to make sure we can get to that five. And it's probably the exact same porn file on everybody's computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, typical. I'm not even going to comment on that. Um, and also, it can do, uh, you can set your own backup strategy. So you can have daily, weekly, monthly. You can set it, whatever you want. It's you set your own days. And it can do partial backups or full backups. So the way that works is you do a, a full backup once a month, say, and that just backups every file, doesn't care, just backs it up. Then it does a partial backup uh, every other day, the other 29 days of the month, and it just looks at it and says, what's changed? What's different between yesterday and day? I'm only going to back that up. And then it uses a filling process. So if I'm restoring, it goes back and says, I need this file. Where is it? Well, the only time we backed it up was a month ago in the last full. I'm going to go grab it from there. All right, I need this next file. Well, the most recent version of that is three weeks ago in this weekly backup. I'm going to get that one. Now, this next file. Okay, well, the most recent one for that was the nightly I just did last night. I'm going to pull that one. So every time you restore, it's as if you were doing a full backup 
but you don't have to back up everything every time. And oh, by the way, did I mention this is free and open source and available in your Debian-based repositories? I don't think I did. Or in your Fedora repositories. I just looked it up. It's there too? It's there too. So if you go, if you're on a machine uh, that's Debian-based, pull up your your command terminal, type apt-get install backup PC, wait about a minute and you're done. If you're on a Red Hat-based thing, type RPM, whatever it was. It's been so long, I don't remember. Yum. Yum, there you Yum. go. Uh, backup PC. Or, zi- or if, if you're in uh, Suzy, it would be Zipper. And it's probably there because it is so good. I was on a, a mailing list years ago, and there was this fellow. I, I should have got him on the show. His name is Les Miskells, I think it was, something like that. And every time somebody mentioned backup, he would sing the praises of backup PC. And it wasn't even, the, the mailing list had nothing to do with backup. But every time somebody would be talking about backup, he would wax rhapsodic about backup PC. And I thought, this dude must be on the development team or what. No, he was just a user of it. And then I thought, all right, fine, fine. For a year and a half, I listened to last rave about this thing. I'll give it a try. Now I rave about it. Every time somebody mentions backup, I have become a prophet of backup PC. You don't have to have any discernible Linux skill to be able to use this thing. It's a web GUI. You have to be able to, you know, get a geek friend of yours to set up the server. And then you can do all the West rest, all the West West we web it um, through pointy clicky GUI stuff. It's amazing. Now, back when I first started using it, that pointy clicky GUI wasn't there and you had to do a lot of uh, manipulation of, of source files, but the, the most recent versions, uh, are all really good. I don't know if anybody's built a full graphical interface, but there's a web-based interface that is really outstanding. You can do everything. You can do all the configurations, set up a new machine uh, and everything all without actually touching the Linux code. Now, if you really want to get the full benefit of it, you need to do something like setting up an SSH key pair so that it can uh, remotely enter into your Linux machines and all that sort of stuff. But the documentation built into the system, by the way, there's a help file that's basically a, a copy of the website that's downloaded periodically. So it's all right there. You don't even have to have internet access to get to it. Um, is really good. You can literally just follow through and, and copy and paste this command from the help window into your terminal and set up and, and get what you need done. It's a wonderful piece of, of backup equipment. It's the best tool I have ever used, including stuff I've paid thousands upon thousands of dollars for. It beats them all. And it's free, and it's open source, and it's an exa- excellent example of what op- the open source community can do. Backup PC, go check it out now. That's two Ps. Backup PC. All right, I'm through. It's ranting. worth its weight in gold. <laughs> now, have either of you guys ever used it? I have not. Um, I was at a previous job where free is the equivalent. I mean, it was like a four-letter word, literally. And so we used backup exec which is the bane of backup administrators everywhere. That's Symantec, I think? Um, or at least yes, used to be. it is. It yeah. used and to I've, be Veritas, and Symantec yeah. bought them out and turned it to crap. Uh, I've like used every, it, and it's, it's the best of breed, and it sucks. Yep. It does. It really, really does. And we had one of those tape libraries and thought so much of them, bought a second. So... Uh, I had two. I had two running because it was cheaper to buy a second one than it was to get a higher capacity to replace the initial one. 
But once yeah. I found hard drives, I never went back. Now, I had my backup PC set up on a RAID 6 array, and I had another backup PC instance copying my backup PC instance. You can do that. No reason not to. Yeah. Uh, and I had, uh, because what happened, Seth, was the uh, air conditioner in the server room, the drain line wasn't run properly, and it began leaking into the backup server. Where did nice. the water hit? The hard drive backplane. Fried not only the backplane, but every drive. My RAID 6 didn't do me a damn bit of good. But I had another backup. Wasn't a problem. Yep. And away you go. there, And that's why you always have multiple copies of everything. And so, yeah, because some, you know, $15 an hour employee didn't do his job, I lost a $12,000 server. Um, so don't, don't think just because you buy good stuff, you're immune back up, back up, and then back up again. Definitely. Later, what ended up doing, Chris, um, something you mentioned, um, instead of replacing that server, I set up a virtual machine with my backup PC configurations and linked it through an iSCSI uh, to a Drobo. So I have go. I have the good hardware of a Drobo, and I have backup PC just running in a VM, and it worked wonderfully. Awesome. Yeah, virtualizing is the way we're going to end up all going to, I think, eventually. And so there's no reason you couldn't do, like the crash plan thing I was talking about, I could send a Drobo to Chris's school, which is going to have high high power bandwidth. He could send one to my school, which is going to have high power bandwidth, better than either of our houses, right? We could configure those SSH totally secure across the internet, and I can be backing up his backup PC machine. He can be backing up my backup PC machine. So we have our local and we have our offsite. So something uh, critical happens. We, you know, we flip a coin to see which is faster. We do a test download. Is it going to be faster to download it or to overnight it? Probably overnight it. So Probably. I spend a hundred bucks on FedEx. He sends me my drive. Um, I plug it in. I'm good to go. Now that's that kind of sharing is an awesome way to go. Um, and you got to find somebody you trust, right? Obviously to do that. And you got to lock the machine down and make sure it's encrypted to make all the HIPAA uh, stuff compliant. But that's a way to do it open source at a very low cost and get a, a super high quality distributed backup way cheaper than s3 yeah definitely cheaper than s3 okay so i opined about backup for way longer than i had intended to there do you guys have anything else to say on the subject no that pretty much covers it all um the funny thing is, is a lot of the tools that I brought, the tool I brought up earlier, the back in time, um, is for a one machine thing, so you won't be able to do anything fancy with it. Um, but a lot of the Linux tools use rsync. Right. Oh, yeah. Is, that, I was going to mention that. Yeah, which is my command line tip again of this week. Um, I've used it before. I've, I've, I've used that command line tip before, but, you know, it's such a dual purpose. It, it's such a great tool that if you don't know about rsync, Go read, and you'll learn why rsync is such an awesome tool, and you'll see why a lot of in uh, I've seen a lot of backup tools use rsync to do its job anyway. So you might as well learn how the program works and learn rsync because you'll you'll be thanking me for it. 
Yeah, backup PC relies heavily on R-Sync. And just a quick, you know, overhead view. Uh, it's you can copy from here to there, from there to here, or sync back and forth. And mm-hmm. and it's smart about it. It does it. It uh, mathematically adds up the checksum of each file, and then when you start copying, just compares the checksum to see if it's been changed. If the file hasn't changed, it doesn't do anything. And here's the cool part: if the file has changed, it only copies the changes. So if it's a uh, you know a seven gig ISO, and you changed a little bit of it, it doesn't download the whole seven gigs. It just downloads the five megs of changes you made when you were rolling your own Linux distro. It's a Delta copy, actually. There is a Windows equivalent of it called Delta copy um, that's free and available. It's it's basically a, a Windows clone of RSync. So. It's awesome, and that's what a lot of what gives Backup PC and and these other tools the the power. I mean, uh, Dropbox uses some version of RSync because it doesn't download all the files. I've noticed that it, it it just it does some sort of Delta copy built in. Of course, it's closed source; we can't know what it's doing, but I assume it's some version of of RSync. I would guess, yeah. The, Especially when you start looking at how it does it over LAN. It's good stuff. All right, Seth, what is your weird link of the week? Well, I went looking for one here, and um, I was abducted.com. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That one's borderline better than the uh, Ferris wheel in your backyard one. I don't know. I think I set a high bar with the uh, buy your own uh, Ferris wheel thing. But, yeah. So if you want to know, is there life out there, or do you have a short a story to share of when you were abducted, well, you can go to IWasAbducted.com. You can report alien abduction and UFO sightings, chat live with other abductees, and this website contains detailed accounts of alien abduction experiences and UFO sightings. So I thought, uh, I just thought, hey... You know, why not? I was abducted.com. Maybe we really aren't alone in the universe. Russell K., sir, and ever since I was abducted, I've been waiting to get up there and give them aliens some payback. (laughs) (laughs) Seth, that explains a lot about you, buddy. Oh, I love that. It's the truth may be out there, but it's also in here. (laughs) If you were abducted, go to IWasAbducted.com or somebody you know. They love has been abducted. They're yeah, maybe they need, you know, you know, there needs to be a support group for everybody. So you can't just leave those people who were abducted to fend for themselves. They've got to know what to do and to know they're not alone while they realize we're not alone. So so last week we laughed at the arch people and we heard from them. next week. I, I guarantee there's going to be an email from the abductee community saying you laughed at us. But it, I have emotional scars as a result of it. <laughs> the anal probe was too big. <laughs> and I can think of no better place to end the show than with that statement. Uh, elementop.com, if you want to leave feedback, we love hearing from you. We love getting uh, show topics and, and um, you know, the, the odd admonishment as well. Uh, we take them to heart. We don't share all of them. Sometimes I just beat the guys up in private about it, uh, and then we uh, we move on. Now, hey. Check us out there. 
And if you have a suggestion for one of my weird offbeat tips uh, links of the week, you know, hey, give us some feedback. And if I like it and it tickles my fancy, I'll uh, share it with the wider community. Seth is outsourcing weirdness now. Well, crowdsourcing. <laughs> I'm still going to contribute, but you know. Hey, I have a personal favor to ask of you. If you've stuck around this long in the show, uh, you'll stick around a little bit longer. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody listening to the sound of my voice right now, send me an email. Mark at com. Tell me your first name, the city, state, if or whatever the state equivalent is in your country, and country you're listening from. I need to get an idea for marketing this show as to the size of the audience and where they're from. So tell me your, your first name, where you're from, your age, um, and if you want to, what you do for a living. That will help me aggregate. I could go do a survey or something like that, but you guys just open up the bat in your command line emailer um, and send me uh, an email with that information. Mark at um, your your first name, where you live, your age, and if you want to, what you do for a living. That'll help me build a profile of, of people for advertising purposes. So just a, a quick favor. No, it's not a favor. It's a command. Go do it now. Pseudo, go do it now. <laughs> Best geek joke ever. Ever. Yeah. Good night, everybody. That ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.